Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of part question mark Dynasty Fantasy Football Series. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Jacob Sanderson and Pat Corain. This is the, uh, you're either listening to this on the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast feed, the Legendary Upside Fantasy Football Podcast feed, or the Full Tilt Podcast, YouTube, whatever Jacob has going on. You might be listening to this on Thinking About Thinking. Uh, if you did not hear the first episode on the rookie class, really what's going on here is we all put our heads together and ranked the top 200 players in Dynasty Fantasy Football. We did the rookies for the first episode. We're going to do wide receivers today. We all have two hours cleared out of our schedule. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking we might get to A.J. Brown at wide receiver five in two hours. I'm hoping that we're able to get that deep into it. And then... Uh, we're a little undecided on what we're going to do in the next episodes. If we want to do quarterback, running back, and tight end all together, if we want to try and portion those out, we we got multiple tweets, guys, about people actually wanted it to be longer. They were disappointed that the yeah. rookie show was only two and a half hours. They they thought it wasn't in depth enough. I mean, listen, if you if you uh, let me host again, we I I could have brought us three. I could have done it. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we didn't really get down to like, I, I don't remember there being much discussion about Tajay Spears. Uh, like, you know, we got to the fact Very that little. he doesn't have an ACL. We did the JHI comp, uh, but that was sort of where it ended. You know, I don't even know if we got that deep into Roshan Johnson. So there's plenty, there's plenty of meat left on we'll the circle bone. back. I mean, we, we talked tight ends a little bit in the rookie pod. Um, sure. So we'll, we'll talk some of those guys as we talk their position, I think. All right. So uh, if you guys uh, don't have these rankings in front of you, um i mean you can you can get them we have them all pulled up they're available on uh my patreon they're available on thinking about thinking they're available on legendary upside and uh consensus we all had justin jefferson as the number one wide receiver in dynasty fantasy football um we we all had him there we all had and and really i think the top Davis, are, are your rank are your ranks pulled are, are uh each of the three individual ranks pulled up for you uh, I do not have Justin Jefferson number one. Oh no, I just have okay. So you have Chase. The consensus, I believe, has has a number one. Yeah. Okay, so well, I, I did Chase not. One. The way the way we have it formatted is, uh, we just we we can see where they're at in the overall. We can't see the positional rankings in our formatted sheet. So I guess that's a good place to start. What is the argument for Chase over Jefferson? I think it's just unless you think that Jefferson is like almost a tier better talent wise it's just i want the guy that's going to play the entirety of his meaningful career with joe burrow versus one year with Kirk cousins and the rest of his key career so it's just it's just question it's just question mark it's Um, it's just that it's just like joe i mean joe burrow is honestly joe burrow might be like if you could pick any quarterback probably other than fan other than patrick mahomes Honestly, maybe even more than Patrick Mahomes, just because Mahomes is so adept at extending plays for eternity mm-hmm. and finding the open guy, even if it's Marcus Kemp. Like, if you're picking any quarterback to have your fantasy wide receiver play with, I think I would pick Joe Burrow. Uh, and he gets to play his entire career with Joe Burrow. And, and I just don't think that he's actually that different than Justin Jefferson. If you look last year at just his healthy games versus Jefferson's healthy games, he was largely similar across the board. Um, and at least similar enough that even on a slightly lower sample size, I think they're comparable talents and I would just take Burrow. Like I, I could see seasons in Jefferson's future where we have like the concerns that we have about Devonte Adams this year, where it's like, 
man, I don't know if, if like, he's still going to be good, but what if, like, this team is a total disaster? What if he's, like, the wide receiver nine this year? I, I think as long as Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are healthy for the rest of their careers, Jamar Chase is a top three wide receiver every single year. You, and you do, uh, you also have the out that the Bengals do the cold, hard math and realize that spending $110 million on Burrow, Chase, and Higgins is maybe not the most viable way to build a team. And they let Chase walk or uh, they let Higgins walk. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but certainly there is a, at some point in the next couple of years, like a 200 target Jamar Chase season that, that, that would be theoretically possible. Um mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do think Jefferson Jefferson honestly is a tier more talented than Jamar Chase. I, I think he is the best. I, I think he's, I think he honestly is that much, that much better that, and also the Kirk Cousins stuff. Like I think the, this, the Vikings end themselves in this situation where they stare, they get into this off season and they're like, the NFC stinks. Every <laughs> team is so bad. No team has any quarterback. Let's just give him two years. $97 million guaranteed and, and just punt it from there. What do, what do you think, Pat? Well, I don't think that's a necessarily good outcome for yeah. Justin Jefferson. I mean, Kirk Cousins is old. So like the longer 34. they just, yeah. But I mean, he's, that's he's like younger when... than you, Pat. <laughs> well, <laughs> I shouldn't be throwing to be the clear, Justin I, Yeah, I don't want Pat throwing a Justin yeah. Jefferson. No, dude, tra- Justin tra- Jefferson's fantasy tra- was dependent on this is this is such a weird thing that only happens to people with our very specific niches and jobs. But at the point in which your age goes from being young for an NFL player, prime age for an NFL player, to guys younger than you are considered old in the NFL, like I'm, I'm the same age as Devonte Adams, right? Where it's like I'm on the downhill. Devonte Adams is on the downhill, and that <laughs> is a scary realization to me um, to if, have. If you want to talk about kind of the the way this makes you feel about your life, to me it really hit with with the running backs. Like once I was past the point of like like a prime running back, so my late twenties, sure. I was like, oh no, oh no, I'm over the hill, you know. So I think it does at this point, like the fact that you know, I'm I would be. Uh, I would have to be a Hall of Fame quarterback to be any good in the NFL. Is is not doesn't bother me. I'm you be <laughs> healthy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you you no, could be. You I'm the one that healthy, I think. Yeah, the one are. that's always hit for me is is just like this is such a Canadian reference, but like I I was born the same year as Connor McDavid, so I remember like when he came in and he wore ninety seven, I was like, oh my, like this is the time where like I should be starting in the NHL if my life had gone differently. Uh, and then now now we're we're getting the age apex for running backs. And it's going to be difficult for sure to rationalize that with, with my declining, but uh, that is, that is an extremely Canadian reference. (laughs) Yeah. At least you're not as old as me, man. Uh, Kirk (laughs) Cousins turns 35 in August. So he's actually pretty close to me in age. That's a major concern. Yeah. He is chasing Corrine. He he gets closer in August. It's uh, you know, it's not ideal if, if it like after this year, we get age 36 and age 37, cousins with justin jefferson what about the t higgins question because um i think if higgins were to leave that would probably be pretty good for jamar chase right yes. that's at it, least it would, in put, the... it would put him into a Devonte adams situation right and then you get the connection with burrow and then like they would i mean tyler boyd is is like a, a decent enough option to where like the offense would be able to continue well moving a bit. by the time by the time they move on from higgins i think because i think there's a chance they franchise tag him also right. this offseason okay, 
So by the time they move on from Higgins, Boyd would be 30, a 30 year old slot wide receiver. Who's like, not, great. not ever really like he's never really had like stud athleticism. So it's, it's probably going to come pretty quick for him. Um, but, but they're also like a forward thinking team that under, well, I don't know how forward thinking they are, but they do understand their only way forward is via advancing the ball be it with the forward pass. Like they're not, this is, this is not a team that's going to have Joe Burrow out there with Jamar chase and right. a bunch of jabronis. They'll, they'll do something. I mean, Tyler Boyd was, was earning targets comparably to Hayden Hurst last year. I think it's kind of going for, for Tyler Boyd. It's like, going a bit too. We had, I mean, I remember I drafted a lot of Boyd. Uh, just because I thought it was like he has decent standalone value and he has two-way contingent upside. And then Chase got hurt and I was really excited and I was extraordinarily underwhelmed by the value we received out of Tyler Boyd. But he he was good when Higgins was out though. Uh, The last two years games Higgins has missed. He's like 17 PPR points per game. Now I didn't go into the game logs. It might be he had like 37 in one game and earned no targets in the other ones, I I think Boyd is like the, he's an he's a non-entity. He's fine. He's he's fine. Like he's a professional wide receiver, but the 2019 like Tyler Boyd is is gone. Like I don't think that outside right, yeah. exists anymore for him. And T Higgins, I, I mean, some of his like target share stats are distorted because he left so many games early or he had games where he was like active, but he was sitting on the bench. But even per route, like. 0.194 targets per route run last year, and that's on the whole year. That includes a portion of the time that Jamar Chase missed, and T. Higgins was a substantially higher target earner when Jamar Chase missed. Like, I, I think it's clear T. Higgins is, is very good, and he, of course, demonstrated massive upside when Jamar Chase isn't there. I, I don't think that T. Higgins is really threatening Jamar Chase's alpha status in a major way when they're both on the field. Like I, I was well, actually he's, shocked. He's like kind of my, his peripheral stats are like not super different than the Mike Williams extended universe when Jamar Chase was healthy last year. So I think this mm. is a, stru- a structural thing. I think that's thing. a little disrespectful to T. But I was shocked to see that I was higher on T than either one of you guys. Cause in my mind, I'm not really a T guy. Like, it, like I don't trade for it. I've not traded for him in any leagues. I don't. Uh, I take Devonta Smith over him 100 percent of the time in best ball when they're both there on the clock. Um, but I I think the reason I mean so so we're skipping around a little bit, but I've got I've got T at 25th overall. Our consensus is him at uh at wide receiver 10. Yeah, I, apparently, I, I'm the lowest on T. So just just to push it. back, T Higgins targets for a run last year. 0.194 yards per route run 1.92 mike williams targets per route run 0.193 yards per route run 1.93 yeah i i actually think i actually think a mike williams that never broke his neck is sort of like a decent comp for for t now, right to be clear i think t higgins is better than mike williams in that i think mike williams if he played with jamar chase would have lower numbers but yes. I'm just yeah, saying, like, yeah, yeah, T. Yeah. Higgins, so it's not like a talent comparison. It's just, like, in the context of how does this affect Jamar Chase, I don't think T. Higgins is, like, a massive obstruction to him is, is all I'm saying. Like, I think, like, Devonta Smith, I think, is a much larger threat to an A.J. Brown than T. Higgins is to a Jamar Chase. Person. Well, that's sort of interesting because Chase and T. are really not different stylistically. You know, like, they they basically are are very similar archetypes, right? Like flanker X boundary wide receivers. Whereas AJ Brown is exactly who he is. And Devonta Smith is so different, like runs different routes, right. gets open in different, different ways. And uh, actually, you know, the way the modern NFL is trending, you, you could see a season where Devonta Smith out targets AJ Brown by like 
some margin, you know, just because, you know, safeties are playing the Eagles this way. They're, they're doing this to mitigate the RPOs and things like that. And AJ Brown just like kind of runs bad for a stretch or something. Whereas I don't, in, in the multiverse of 17-game healthy seasons between Chase and Higgins, I, I don't think there's a multiverse where Higgins earns more targets than Chase. Well, one I think the difference between those offenses is just that the Eagles will give Smith gimme targets. Like, he actually gets a lot of the screen right. passes in yeah. that offense, and he, he shares that responsibility with A.J. Brown. Um, T. Higgins never gets layup targets. Like, they send their layup targets to Jamar Chase, or they throw a screen to Joe Mix or whatever, but, like, T. Higgins – earns every dollar that he it's, gets. Uh, it's it's so true and nothing is more tilting than playing t in dfs and watching Bengals games and watching chase get every layup throw and then just every every higgins target is him having to like rise up you know do a two two at well high right. point in between two defenders and it's not wrong like i wouldn't throw a bubble screen to t higgins like if i had jamar chase um but it's like he definitely he works hard for his money for sure okay the next guys so Jefferson and Chase, unquestioned number one. They're the only wide receivers we all had inside the top 10. I actually had CD Lamb at 10. You guys were lower on him. There's this sort of, there's this uh, undercurrent of just, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there is this undercurrent of people not believing that CD is in the same tier as Jefferson and Chase, you know, just for, for whatever. He's not. Well, he's not. I, I kind of think he is. I kind of think. By the way, you convinced me on Chase. Good. I just moved him over to Jefferson. I just, I just think wow. for insul- insulated dynasty value, I'm never gonna have to worry about Chase. Is it, is it, is the, is the Lamb thing just that he has not demonstrated the ability to put together the insane touchdown season? Is that, is that the feeling? Well, he's also like kind of a slot receiver. You know, like he still plays the majority of his snaps in the slot. He doesn't draw targets at a super high rate. He, yeah, he doesn't seem to so have does, the biggest so does weekly Cooper ceiling. Cup. Cooper Cup plays a huge. Po- yeah fair enough fair enough but cooper cup has demonstrated a ceiling that lamb has not um and the offense is about to get like way less interesting and yeah more creative it's about, and it's run about, a to, lot it's about fewer, to be really bad they're gonna run way fewer plays i, I don't think i mean th- maybe they won't but i think they probably will and that's gonna hurt um he strikes me as a kind of guy who could get quickly surpassed in the dynasty market by garrett wilson chris olave I'm going to say Brown, Jalen Waddle. Like he, he's, see, a, I, I view no this moat. next. I view this. I think dynasty wide receiver rankings are so interesting right now because we have the super elite premium tier of scores are all reaching an age cliff, right? So Diggs, Cup, mm-hmm. Adams, these guys who have been top five assets for so long are reaching an age where people are just downgrading them not because of anything they've done on the field but just because of the age they are yeah and so a bunch of guys lamb wilson alave waddle st brown these guys are are it's not artificial but they are being moved up in both consensus and in the rankings again not because of the points they're scoring but because i don't i I don't actually think that's a fair characterization because they're going at the one-two turn in redraft in best. Sure, like, sure. Hop on yeah. underdog. I mean, you're getting Garrett Wilson like a pick after CD Lamb, and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's the next pick, and Jalen Waddle might be the pick after that if if Devontae but that's, Adams is but, falling. But that's being done on expectation. That's being done on. That's being done on what we're projecting, but, right? But it's I, not I mean, like yes, a, but I think it's, a it's not well a youth chasing thing. It's sorry, good. No, you go. Sorry, I I, I was. I just think the projection is like t- pretty valid. Like I think those three, sure. like yeah. London is, is in quarterback hell, but like if we want to talk about Olave Wilson, like 
and London, like all the rookie seasons were absolutely tremendous, like 99th really percentile rookie seasons. And, and if you believe in the environment, being able to support Olave and Wilson, like, yeah, I think those can be second round picks or like. Yeah, I, I think Olave belongs with that. I have a ton of Olave in best ball. So I think, um, you know, if you're looking at how the like, there's one thing to say, OK, well, here's what the market is doing in best ball. But then also, like, how are we reacting to that? And I don't really hear anyone saying, what are we doing with these with like Garrett Wilson on the one, two. See, I, like, I have nuts. heard. I have. But you heard. haven't heard that? I, ha- That's I have. All heard. I hear. I have yeah, well, heard that. I, I haven't been I, on Twitter a lot. It's actually glorious. I think there's. You, I was ready I think, for a rant about Garrett Wilson later. Well, let's let's do it. Let's do it because is that is there a lot of pushback on him around that range? Yeah, like okay, remember the CD Lamb? So like CD Lamb for the last couple of years, and and I've been on the side of this. Like I think that it was correct. I've since capitulated. Like I now have CD Lamb wide receiver three. Um, but like some of a lot us, of the conversation some of us were about, there all along. Oh, I have AJ Brown above CD Lamb. Way more talented. He is more. Uh, talented. I mean, I agree. He's more talented um way better off but I, I would still age and i and i'm just i mean i would still rather that play you're really doing Prescott a lot for him. offense sorry he's almost two he's only a, he's like a year and a half older it's not it's a year and a half but i think the bigger thing to me is just the projection in the offense like i just think i would project that prescott for more passes to jalen hurts there's there's no devonta smith level talent in, in dallas offense i like i, I would project cd land to score more points than aj brown this year um i would not which of course underdog drafters do not agree with but yeah yeah i'm with them um i I, it's tough aj brown is like it's it's interesting because i was talking to ben about this too because he actually feels somewhat similarly i don't know about on the lampart but just specifically about aj brown's adp we're like aj brown and tony pollard are are my two favorite players in the nfl by a large margin and i've never been not in on aj brown at any point in his career and until this year like his his price is just tough for me where he's going to be 26 this year. So he's not certainly not old. Like it's not the end is coming, but the like chance for him to gain value is kind of going to be over after this year where he's going to be sort of holding. And then in a couple of years, declining in value. And we haven't seen, and this is the same thing with CD land. Like Davis, you asked why CD land isn't in the same tier as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. CD land at his best season last year, 17.7 fantasy points per game. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson have collectively zero seasons below 17 points per game. It's pretty, um, it's pretty, like, it's pretty straightforward. Like I, I get that CD Lamb's like target share and his peripherals evolved last year to that elite level. At that very, very top, I think like we get to be picky about the efficiency, right? Like that's well, where and we you get could, to like you demand. could actually yeah. you could actually argue that playing with a version of Michael Gallup who couldn't walk in May last year. And Dalton Schultz versus now Gallup uh, can walk per per mm-hmm. reports, and Brandon Cooks is is actually maybe even not, Gallup, yeah, is is actually maybe not the best for him, right? Is that is that if Cooks can do sort of do a Cooper uh, impersonation, mm-hmm. and Gallup is actually a legit third wide receiver, and they maybe even get something out of Jalen Tolbert, like there are there would be some pressures on CD's target share. I mean, Brandon Cooks's peripherals were comparable to Nico Collins last year when they played together. I'm not super concerned that Brandon Cooks is coming for CD. No, no, no. I mean, of of course, of course. Like I, but, but their, their supporting cast last year was, I mean, it's really bad. It was, and it might, it might just collectively, it it might just, and and also removing Zeke from the offense, you're targeting Pollard more. Like there, there are some ways you could see CD's target share. Yeah declining uh but but wilson is interesting 
because yeah. I someone someone posited this the other day. Is this is there a chance that right now uh, we've got him collectively at wide receiver five? Is there is there a chance that this is the highest he's ever valued? That actually Rogers coming in and sort of running this, uh, you know, honestly just a shitty offense that Rogers has been in charge of uh, the last couple of years, where like the hope is that Garrett Wilson becomes Devontae Adams and becomes the binky. But if he doesn't become the binky and the offense kind of looks like it did last year uh, with with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, is is there a chance that we're actually taking Waddle over him, Alave over him, St. Brown over him, et cetera? That chance exists even if, if Rodgers is good sure. because those guys are such good NFL players themselves. I think the thing with Wilson, one reason I'm not overly concerned with it is that I think Alan Lazard is, you know, functionally like an extra offensive lineman yeah. you know i, I don't Agreed. like that yeah. miko harbin has never shown the ability to even run a full slate of routes Corey davis might not be on the team and it's not going to really be a, a huge they shipped the only other is. guy we think are talented out of town like the only yeah, other guy yeah. we thought who could maybe steal targets they traded him very plausible that tyler conklin is number two on the team in targets this year <laughs> So this would be this would be prime. That would be a prime yeah. Devontae Adams season where it's yeah. like a bunch of guys earn between 40 and 60 targets, and Garrett Wilson has a 29% target share. And like Adams, he gets open quickly and in yeah. the short and intermediate areas of the field. He's not, I mean, and in fairness to Rodgers, who was not good last year, like he fed Christian Watson deep. Like if there's a guy who gets open at any point on the field, what you know, regardless of how right. far deep downfield. Rodgers is pretty good at finding that guy. So I think Wilson is going to earn targets like very easily unless Rodgers is done. This is going to be a pretty slow offense, I would guess. I mean, it's not yeah. just Rodgers, but they have Nathaniel Hackett, who, oh. you know, probably going to take forever to to get all his, <laughs> his words in and all this crap. You know, they, I don't well, think it's going to be not even really the OC. Like, I mean, the whole thing with Hackett, right, is just that they even, say the about, they even say with Russ, right, that he was just like, do whatever you want, Russ. Right. Like, and obviously that didn't work, but I think do whatever you want. Rogers has had some level of demonstrated success, um, but it's slow. It's really, oh, it's consistently slow. It's really slow. slow. And, and it's, it's demonstrated level. Good. Of... I just, it'll, it'll be slow, but I do think it's going to be good. I I'm not, I'm on team Rogers. Isn't washed. Like I think that the, the sharp, it seems like the, like the sharps on Twitter are like kind of fighting the jets. I'm pro jets. I think Rogers can still play. I, their, their wide receiver, their three wide receiver set for most of last year, or like for the first half of last year, was like Watson was not even really not, he was, effect, effective well, he was until in, the second he was half injured. of the year. He was, he was injured, injured, he was part-time. So like they were playing Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dubs, and Alan Lazard. Like there was just like Romeo Dubs was their most effective deep threat. And he, by all counts, is not particularly good and was a fourth round rookie. Like I, I just don't know what we were expecting out of that offense. Like that was pretty heinous. And it's not like Rogers yeah. is particularly mobile at this point. And then we saw like Watson became a legitimate weapon in their offense for the second half of the year. And they won a bunch of games and they scored more points. Like I, I think, and that was even and like, that was with Christian Watson, who was a, also a rookie was super raw and could kind of do like two things. <laughs> and like, they, they kind of made that work somewhat. Like, I, I think that, this is a better offense. I don't know why they chose to make their wide receiver room worse on purpose. That was um, curious decision making, but I, I do think these are because like, these are Rogers' buddies. That's why. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and like, I don't Harman, think uh, Salah was a big fan of Elijah Moore, the man. So, 
No. Yeah. That's but, why like, I could've... keep I keep bag defending Elijah Moore because I'm just like it's got to just be a it's I'm just hoping it's a personality thing. Right? Yeah, but Salah seems like Elijah a great Moore dude. <laughs> he seems like he has a good personality, so that makes me worried. Well, I think I don't, every, even, I think... I don't even think it's just downgrading from Elijah Moore. Like I think I think choosing to like bring in Alan Lazard to make Corey Davis redundant is like a bad choice. Also, like I think Corey Davis yeah, is a more yeah. useful NFL. We haven't even we Lazard. haven't even said we haven't At even catching said things. The, he, the he, real Lazard yeah. is a good blocker. Sure. The real name okay. that's concerning is that they brought in Randall <laughs> so Cobb. So he's CJ Uzama's backup. Like, that's like... That's yeah. Pretty, like, yeah. And yeah, Ra- did you, you mentioned Hardman? We got a Hardman I mean, Cobb, no, Ra- Cobb Randall, well. Co- Randall Cobb is oh, going to play. Randall Cobb is going to play right. on the 2023 New York Jets. Yeah, like, I'm not really drafting Hardman in best ball for that reason. It's like, I, he's yeah. going to... He's just going to have well, his part-time Cobb, bit role. Cobb will get hurt, though. Cobb will get hurt. I, I like Hardman in best ball. Just, I think he's like... You know those plays Rodgers loves to run on the... It's like third and short... And it's a 10 yard line, and he he like does the damn. I'm gonna either do an inside zone on the hot read to Brees Hall, or I'm gonna pull it, and then we're just gonna have like the one guy swing out as the other guy blocks. Like to me, that's Wilson's in the ISO spot, Lazard's blocking, Hardman swinging out, and he is gonna have six touchdowns on that exact play. Well, it actually works out because that's what Randall Cobb did when he was 24, and he can't do it. He can't do it anymore. He can't do it at all anymore. Yeah, he can't do that. But but Hardman probably can that's like um, the only thing he can do that's like his that's the thing he's like wait really can i at. can i rant on aj brown yeah of course yeah go for it i because i've heard this now from you know i know ben's like a little bit uh on the fence about his current adp and stuff and people are i like oh they had the same number of targets last year like devonta smith uh and him had the same number of targets or whatever uh i just think like there's some weird aj brown disrespect that he was he was awesome last year like he was absolutely tremendous last year at 2.47 yards per route run and entering the season there was stuff about like well you can't really trust aj brown's yards per route run because they run so many two wide receiver sets in tennessee and he had he doesn't have to compete against other really good wide receivers so it's really it's not like a fair representation of his talent level well he comes in and absolutely crushes with Devonte smith and dallas goddard who are both very good he ranked third in open score last year behind Deontay Johnson and Tyler Lockett. The dude is an absolutely elite wide receiver. I also think that some of the like the like the 1A1B stuff is overrated. If you look at the first read targets last year, he had a first read target on 21% of his routes. That's higher than Jamar Chase, who was at 20%. Devontae Smith was only at 15% which is much lower than T Higgins, who is at 18%. So if you think like, oh, T Higgins and Jamar Chase, there's really kind of a true alpha there. Well, in terms of who's seen the first read targets, Brown is more of a true alpha than Smith. And I think that, you know, we saw some weirdness last year with the Eagles offense because they were so dominant. They were pulling people from games. They were taking the starters out like three quarters in you know against the Steelers or whatever it's like it's like evaluating Ohio State wide receivers for fantasy football where it's like it's like this guy had a 22 percent target share because they were beating Wisconsin 47 and half yeah yeah they were demolishing people like what AJ Brown did last year on on a per route basis on you know just in terms of getting open production like everything is off the charts good I have no problem taking him where he's going in best ball in fact, I'm taking him ahead of Diggs uh, a fair mm-hmm. amount. So I, I, I'm actually slightly above ADP on A.J. Brown. I think he's an elite talent in the prime of his career with an awesome quarterback in a high-scoring offense. Like, I want all the A.J. Brown. 
Here's my question for you, Pat. And I, I hope that you can convince me because like I said, I love AJ Brown. I would love to find, I, I would love to like invent a reason to be in on AJ Brown. And I especially love it if it's you giving me an awesome case for it, which it certainly started out. All the stats you mentioned, incredible. Like 2.59 yards per outrun, out-targeted even Jamar Chase and targets per outrun, 29% target share, 40% air yard share. Like no argument. I think he is one of the five best wide receivers in the NFL with like a plausible argument for one when you add everything he does after the catch my only question for that is he performed so 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 well the Eagles offense was extraordinary last year and it still resulted in 17.6 fantasy points per game which is great but like he was still he was earning a ton of volume he was super efficient on that volume he had 11 touchdowns which was second among all wide receivers and it resulted in like a sub elite end result so I guess I'm just, I struggle to see like, where is that next level coming from? Because I don't know how he does any more. Like, I feel like it's the Eagles are slightly worse. It's it's that the Eagles, it's, it's the, the Eagles defense, defense is worse. It's so that the Eagles defense is, is slightly worse and that their schedule gets harder. Remember they had that cake schedule. Mm-hmm. Like they were seen as fraudulent entering the playoffs by some people, you know, and obviously they weren't, but okay. they, if they are just in more shootouts, like if we get them, actually going toe to toe with other elite offenses and not just steamrolling people constantly this year, we're going to see huge blow up games. That's the other reason I really like AJ Brown is that of the two, I think he has the two touchdown 200 yard or three touchdown type of game because they use him more downfield. Like if they're going to attack downfields, primarily AJ Brown, he's also got the like Debo Samuel level yards after catch ability. I mean, he is, he is the big play waiting to happen. Sometimes last year, Devontae Smith would be like his big games are more like when they're racking up targets when they weren't yeah. as aggressive. When he's like, I think he's much better kind of in the intermediate area. They use him more on screens. I like Devontae Smith too. I, this isn't to, to slander Devontae Smith. I think he's very good. I think he's fine where he's going as well in best ball. But I just think that the week to week ceiling you get with AJ Brown, and then especially if they just like throw more because they have to play all the games, you know, and then. Yep. Then you have the like, maybe they're actually not quite as dominant and they're in more negative game script, well, which is a, a more unlikely, thing, but could happen. A, we- a weird thing would be what if Jamal or Jamal Jalen Hurts regresses a little bit, both in efficiency or just defenses sort of throwing him things that he hasn't seen before, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's it's like uh, it's sort of like this Lamar thing. Like what would happen in a season where Lamar threw 500 times? Like what happens to Jalen Hurts if he throws 550 times? Like it's a lot better for all the associated pass catchers. Yeah. Maybe he runs a little less, has the new contract. I, I know that's a narrative that never actually comes true, but I would tell myself that if it if it helped. No, um, I you, I don't think you can tell yourself that. Fish, fish swim, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts yeah, scores rushing touchdowns. And that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I I'm I mean that's that passing more in the second half, I can get behind. Like, because their pass rate over expectation last year was fine. It's just that then they ended up being run heavy. There, like, there was not a as much by choice that because stretch, they were always ahead. There was a stretch the first eight weeks of the season where Jalen Hurts had scored the most fantasy points of any player in the first half of games, and it was like the quarterback twenty-two. If you only took second half stats, yeah, like, it, it's very real. Yeah, it's very real. Um, and the thing I like about the Eagles is that they were not, um they were not afraid in any way. They were not like, they didn't have um, 
a conservative approach to how you win game. How do you know, mm. the way to win games in the NFL is you run the ball, you establish it, and then you pass off that. That's not their mindset at all. They would come in and aggressively attack teams with weak secondaries, didn't have pass rushes. They would throw the ball and get up big. And then, yeah, they would run the ball because they were salting away the game. Like, and if they, you know, and to their credit, if they went into a matchup that had a really, really weak run defense and they have this elite yeah. offensive line, they would run the ball a lot. They would attack yeah. that that matchup. So they were a super you know, predictable team. Like what they, they did, they were very stuff predictable. That made sense. Yeah, exactly. They did what made Great sense for to DFS. do. Yeah, yeah. They're I know that's I definitely have an affinity for them because they were so predictable. It's a bit of a bias, but um, I do think that like you just need them in situations where it's like what makes sense to do here is put up points because the other team's going to put up points against you. Don't don't play conservative. I trust the Eagles to deliver on that. Yeah, I think I think that seems all legit. Okay, mm. the next group of guys, we have Alave. You're telling me, Pat. We have Alave, we have Waddle, and we have St. Brown. Um, so the thing with St. Brown, I I actually could see this being a guy. Uh, there was there was a time when there there. I mean, this has happened many times. The name I always remember is there was an off season where Kenny Galladay was like a uh, top ten dynasty asset, like top ten wide receiver guy people loved him and st brown i think is obviously better and different but you you could very easily convince me that amon ross st brown is just fancy keenan allen and that if if the if the jameson williams thesis you know if, if it if he actually if i'm if if i'm wrong about jameson williams and he's not uh uh Kadarius tony you know and that he doesn't have these attitude problems and and he comes on the field and he's great like jameson williams has the profile of like a much more productive, much more target earning guy than a monor St. Brown, not to discount what St. Brown has done in the NFL. I think it's sort of like trying to like discount Cooper cup after what he's done, you know, because the profile wasn't what we anticipated. He was a later pick, all that stuff, but would not be that surprising to me if uh, we do this exercise next summer and Amon R. St. Brown is the wide receiver 17 in our dynasty rankings. Whereas I'd be very surprised if that was true of Jalen Waddle or Chris Olave. The thing with Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, is the quarterback, um, because he's just in a perfect situation right now, quarterback-wise. Yeah. Um, but the guy that they drafted, you know, I don't know if Hendon Hooker is ever going to get, like, a real chance. He's super old, coming off the ACL tear. They seem happy with Goff. But if Goff were to regress and they were like, no, we're going to, like, give Hooker a shot next year, that would be – catastrophic i mean it would be it would be Brown. so bad but i don't i don't foresee bad that. news for amon ross st brown <laughs> but yeah. i think it would be okay for jameson williams you know Great like for him you don't Jaylen need Hyatt. he's more insulated in a sense although like is he good is he gonna stop gambling on uh <laughs> at the lions facility like <laughs> that's uh that's sort of the issue there the but... jameson williams warning flags are so bright and so red that it's, it's so like bad. it's it's yeah. un- like the the comp the the parlay uh jameson williams would love this because it's a parlay the parlay of starting your career with a torn acl only yeah. earning one catch in six one. games and then getting a six-game gambling suspension to start the second year of your career when your team was like counting on you because the backups behind you are Marvin Reynolds or Marvin Reynolds, Marvin Jones. Oh, Marvin Reynolds. Reynolds. I, I created a yeah. portmanteau of the two of them. Like he he it. fucked out he fucked over his team so hard. They had no plan behind him. Uh and I, I think yeah. very un, very unwisely there. I 
I think there, there, this Jameer Gibbs thing was partly inaudible as a result of the suspension. Like we totally was. Yeah, we got to have another dynamic playmaker because we don't know if we can count on Jamison Williams. I don't know, man. Draft JSN then. Well, that's what I think. I think think that they looked at it and they were like, I don't know. I I think you can talk. I think this is wrong, but I also can see how an NFL team talked themselves into this stance of Jameer Gibbs is the best pass catcher in the draft. Like, I don't think that's correct. (laughs) It's not. I know it's not, but I can just, I know some like, I don't know. I'm saying I know NFL teams think. I, I suspect how NFL teams think is that they just discount the types of things that JSN does. Like I think they're like, look, anybody can like get open and run like 10 yard dig routes. But I, I just feel like they look at Gibbs and then they're like, yeah, like how do we replace like the dynamism of a Jamison Williams? And they like forget about the 80% of playing wide receiver and they're looking at it. It's like Jameer Gibbs could run a great jet sweep and like we could like use him right, on right. these like bubble screens and like he could use him on some of these angle routes. And it's like. I don't know. I just feel like I see somebody watching Jameer Gibbs one run one run one angle route, and they're like, he can do ninety percent of what JSN can do, but we can also give him carries. Like I, I don't know. I just that's to me like what happened in the war room. Yeah. No, I, it, I think you're you're good. you're almost a hundred percent at like I think that is just right. Um, which is which is which would be a tacit admission, by the way, that Amon Ross St. Brown is not that guy, right? Which would be I don't think it's. I think it's a tacit admission that they they can't have one functional receiver. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, yeah, that's, that's not, that's sort of their whole thing is like, we got to make Goff. That's was the Rams thing is we got to make Goff the distributor. He's fine at that, but for Goff to be the distributor, you can't have him throwing to Brock Wright and uh, Marvin Reynolds. It is a little bit. Jared Jared Goff is like, Jared Goff is like Chris Paul, right? Like he's not like going to score at this point in his career. Like he's just going to walk the ball off the floor and he's going to get the ball to the playmakers. Um, Chris, Chris Paul is currently an unemployed professional basketball player. He can have, you mean this version of Chris Paul? No, yeah, like I'm, saying, I'm saying he's late career Chris Paul. Like they haven't, okay. they haven't, tec- they haven't technically cut God. Chris Paul yet. Okay, well, he's he's a soon to be. He's a he's in transition. He's he's at the stage of his career where they're trying to find ways to not have to pay him, which is definitely a conversation sure. that the the Jared Goff and the Lions are going to have soon. <laughs> right, that's in their future. He's late career Chris Paul. Like he can still walk the ball off the floor. He can still like make the right decision, but he's he's no longer scoring himself. So like he can't just have DeAndre Ayton sitting in the post and like that be the only play. Like he needs multiple options to get the ball into the hoop. And and Amon Ra is, is one of those options, but he, he needs another dude. He does. I I think with Amon Ra, like man, I, I'm I'm not like super into Amon Ra this year at Cost and Dynasty. Part of it's not his fault. Like I just struggled to ever be into like the sub elite, like the 15 to 17 point wide receivers in Dynasty, because I just I just don't think that they provide the same value of a replacement as the back end of the top quarterbacks and the very best tight ends um and the very best running backs and and that makes it a struggle to get in on them i I would not buy amon ross st brown at this price but i wouldn't be rushing to sell them at this price like this is goldilocks temperature i think it seems just about right i think it's reasonable and i I think my only issue with amon ra is like last off season i felt like the the price said he's just a slot wide receiver his ceiling is capped and it was like okay if he ends up being keenan allen that's like a massive win at his price. And then if he ends up being Cooper cup, that's like roster changing win. Whereas now it's like, he's priced where if he has a Keenan Allen career, that's, that's probably a negative at his price, or at least it's like a small loss, which, which just makes the bet a lot different. Uh, I mean, general rule of thumb, I think 
in anything like this where we're dealing with very small samples every year is that if you have a lot of players who are broadly comparable and one of them doesn't look like almost any of the other players that are super successful, that's probably the one you'd rather fade. Like, I, I just think you you need a more specific set of circumstances for a four, six low a dot slot wide receiver to be scoring 18 to 20 fantasy points per game than you do for a Chris Olave who appears to be a much more traditional um, elite wide receiver archetype than an Amon Ross St. Brown, which is why I err on that side. But like, in this year, I don't have any doubt about Amon Ross St. Brown. Like in this iteration of the offense with Ben Johnson, with Jared Goff, I think Amon Ra will continue to eat. I, I just don't know how resistant that profile is to change. Like, I, I don't think he's the same player as Debo, but like I, I would even make somewhat of a similar comparison where all of Debo's like peripheral stats in 2021 were elite. Like, yeah, the efficiency was through the roof, but he was also just earning a million targets and his air yard share was really good. Like they just ran the whole offense through him. And then as the circumstances kind of changed around him, he became still a really good player, but he wasn't that like absolute central figure that was winning you fantasy championships by himself. And I, I just wonder with Amon Ra, like one of the similarities he has with Debo is that he is primarily a lower eight off player who thrives more against zone than man. He kind of has a more specific use case where he's not going to be able to take in those 30 yard routes, the 50 yard routes, even really those deep down the field dig routes and stuff like how for, is for the entirety of Amon Ross St. Brown's career, is he going to be offenses that build their entire offense out of throwing to a zone beating slot wide receiver, even if he's the best zone beating slot wide receiver? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, like almost I, no chance, right? Like almost certainly because you don't build Super Bowl champion offenses that way. I mean, honestly, like I think he would have been better off if they had drafted maybe not JSN because they're so similar. But like Quint, a, Quentin Johnson was the Quentin guy I Johnston, thought they should have taken. Yeah. yeah. Or even an Addison or, or just Jameson Williams doesn't get suspended. Like all of those things yeah. I think are very good for Amon Ross St. Brown because it just keeps the status quo more likely to stay in place. And he, I completely agree that he needs the status quo. He needs Jared Goff to be the quarterback. Jared Goff is only 28 years old. He turns 29 in October. Like if Goff, if well, they I would like, I would have lost that bet. I would have guessed he was 33 years old. I doesn't think. he seem 33? Yeah, yeah. I would have yeah, thought he's, he's been in my too. life for so long. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean he he's going to keep being this guy for a while longer. So right. if it's really about what the Lions want to do, so if you're into Amon Ross St. Brown, I think you're rooting for a successful offense with with multiple weapons and Goff continuing to to be the point guard and distributing really well and having them go, you know what, this is this is still working great. Let's keep doing yeah. this. As long as that's going, then I think Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be a high-end dynasty and fantasy wide receiver, you know, overall. But I do I do think he he's not resistant to change. I, I mean, not even Hendon Hooker, but like a good mobile quarterback would be a problem for him. That's a disaster. I mean, he yeah. just needs so many – he needs he needs a really high percentage of the routes that he runs to convert into targeted throws. And Jared Goff will do that because he's going to get the ball out – and he's going to never run ever because he's a statue. Like it's just Amon Ross St. Brown will never be a wide receiver one with 120 targets. It's just not going to happen. Like he's not going to have like the AJ right. Brown type season where it's like, or like Jalen Waddle last year, right? Like Jalen Waddle only had a 21% target share last year, but he was so efficient. He was able to break so many big plays that like, maybe that's not sustainable for 
season over season over season. But like we've seen out of these types of guys that are the more dynamic athletes, like in a given season, we can take, you know, a low twenties target share or 120 to 130 raw targets and convert it into 17 points per game because you're able to break some to the house. Like Amon Ra is going to need that pedal absolutely locked down on him getting 160, 170 targets in over 17 games to be that wide receiver one every year. Yeah. Yes. Waddle, I think is in some ways more resistant. We're actually pretty different on Waddle. So I have him at 21 yeah. Davis at 15 and you at 28 Waddle. And I just actually moved him up over Amon Ra as we talked through it. Cause his, he's, like okay what's gonna happen with Tua the concussion issue is he gonna get hurt again but to me like Tua is not the reason that Waddle yeah I don't care I don't care Mike White Mike White can make Jalen Waddle the wide receiver nine in a given season yeah and they, or they bring someone else in or whatever like Mike McDaniel is the guy there and Mike McDaniel had a really good debut season I think he's looking like he'll be there for a while um and you know you also have Tyreek Hill getting older it's possible waddle passes him by the end of this year I mean, it, it could happen it could happen for tyreek in a minute yeah Ty, tyreek I mean, this this the speed. second the second tyreek goes from being a four three quick twitch monster to a four five step because because the thing is is tyreek uh he was like not a productive college player he landed in the absolute perfect system for him with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and and you know uh, he's all in that another stuff. perfect system for. And him he's now. in another perfect system right now. And I mean, not to say I'm not I'm not trading away Tyreek Hill, I'm not fading Tyreek Hill, any of these things. But this it, it this is the, this is not going to be a guy who is uh, churning out 1100 yard seasons at 36. Like this is not no. Jerry Rice. I don't. Well, think. he said that he's like planning to retire in three years. He says so. Yeah. Um, but I also think one thing with Dynasty, right? Like. We don't even need Jalen Waddle to pass Tyreek Hill. We can have this exact same season again. We just run back last year totally. in terms of not and even in terms he, of deduction, in terms of the one A one B type of thing. Was it one A one B? There was a ten point spread in their target share. Like it was thirty one point six well, to twenty one point six. You gotta you okay? So you have to get into the weeds on on this. I know because I, I think do it was pro- I, I do I do projections in season. And so it would be one of those things where I'd get into the sheet and I'd be like, Tyreek, this I'm not giving Tyreek this target share and I'm not giving Waddle this low of the target share. There was all kinds of weird stuff going on with the Dolphins. There were games where Tua played a drive and then got concussed and Teddy Bridgewater's in and uh, Skylar Thompson. It's, it's just, and and the other thing is they have, the other thing really insulating Jalen Waddle, no one else on this roster is earning targets. Yes. Nobody. There's, you know, Chosen Anderson, Braxton Berrios, whatever no one even knows who the dolphins tight end is like no one is taking targets away they're the only two dolphin pass catchers that are even drafted on underdog yeah yeah i mean the other thing i would say with with waddle is that like sort of like 1b status is is i think somewhat dependent on like what you're doing like he was doing everything he he had peripheral stats that you would be looking at like this guy's a clear number one wide receiver on his team like to be able to achieve what he's doing in terms of like yards per route running stuff. It's like, wow, this guy's awesome. The fact that Tyreek was also in the same offense producing like even more, I mean, his numbers were, were substantially better than Jalen Waddles, but I don't want to like punish Waddle for that necessarily. Like, I think it still shows that Waddle is very, very talented. But my point is that even if we get the same gap between the two, as long as Waddle kind of holds up his end and looks like a very talented player, then 
now we're entering 2024 and it's Tyree kills age 30 season. And I think we're going to be of uh, the drum beats can be a little bit louder on Waddle's pass. You know, could Waddle pass Tyreek this year? Like you're going to get that even if there's really no signs of it. Yes. hundred uh, percent. Waddle, I would be buying St. Brown. I would not be buying. I think uh, we already talked about T who is our wide receiver 10 or to our wide receiver. Uh, and we've already talked a shit ton about Devonta Smith. I mean, I think we I, all like Devonta Smith. I just I want to give the bear case on Waddle because you guys are both very pro. I I mean, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to be too spreadsheet brain about this, but I, I will be a man, little bit. Man who doesn't want to be too spreadsheet brain is about to go so about far into spreadsheets. Spread <laughs> like we're talking about a guy right who's he's like I, I can't I think his ADP right now is wide receiver six in dynasty, and he was outside the top twenty four in expected fantasy points per game. He was. Outside the top 30 in target share, he was wide receiver 40 in air yard share. Um, it's a tough sell. Like his production last year was fringe wide receiver one, and it was entirely boosted by 11.9 yards per target, which is almost certainly unsustainable. This, this is, I just be feel like this is like, time, like, I'm gonna, this is just I'm gonna... fantasy 101 of like, don't buy into the efficiency over the volume. And, and I, I get that Jalen Waddle, like, is a really exciting player and he's a really good player. I, I think that he is probably a better player than his target share and air yard share would say that he is in a vacuum. So I don't want to say like he is what the spreadsheet says, but his price is like very sure that he's not like his, his price is fully buying into the efficiency and, and hand waving away any other concerns. And I, I don't know. I can't get behind it. Like I, I right, just don't I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the hand waving. So a couple things. Okay. First one being this will be my this will be my one use of this, but one you gotta watch the games, bro. Jalen Waddle built different. I do watch the games. The the other thing that I think this sort of gets uh that is feeding into why some of his target share and numbers look a little bit weird. He only played over uh 75% of the snaps in five games for them last year. There are probably a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, you know, I whatever but that is not what elite wide receivers do they play way more snaps than that i would imagine given how shitty the wide receiver depth chart is in miami that that increases because for example tyreek played over 80 percent in half his games right and i think i think there will probably be a, a marriage of that i'm gonna see and i think the fact that they didn't invest at all at wide receiver probably is an indication that they would like to be going that way with waddle and Let's just say we get a no weirdness season with the quarterback situation from them. Skylar Thompson does not appear. Yeah. We don't have to, we don't, Mike White no, does Teddy. not appear. Teddy, right. The Teddy guy. It just, there's no changing of the game plan midweek or not knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be. It just feels like some of that weirdness that persisted around the Dolphin season could have very easily bled its way into, well, let's just build the whole ship out of Tyreek Hill screen passes right the offensive I, line was also terrible last year i don't know that's going to be that much better this year but like this was not an ideal situation at all it was the dolphins last year and yeah. to me it's like look the, the number six overall pick with elite speed put up 2.46 yards per out run in his second season and wasn't even the number one uh target earner on his own team but that's no fault of his because he's playing alongside an elite guy like a model's extremely good i feel i feel confident about that and 
not only that, but like, I, I love this off. This is an offense I want to be uh, invested in for the next couple of years. And the guy ahead of him is, is aging. So to me, like the macro stuff is all extremely bullish on him. Could he underperform his current ADP and redraft? Like, yes, uh, he definitely could. Uh, we might be a year early. We might be two years early, but I don't, this is the kind of guy like in dynasty. I'm often thinking like, you know, I want to have guys that are, have really good trade value and what's the trade ba- value going to be after this year. But there are some guys and it's usually young wide receivers where I'm just like, I, I am willing to make a two to three year bet on this, on this profile. Like this, this is going to be kind of a, a piece of my team that if this isn't the right year for him to emerge as an absolute star, so be it. But I think, I think things are trending that way. Well, and the other, I mean, we're talking about like dynasty theory type stuff is like what would happen what would happen this season to have him be like what we we're just talking about with St. Brown where he's drafted as the wide receiver 17 like I don't I almost don't even see it. Uh, I think you he know he doesn't overperform in efficiency and he is like the wide receiver 22 this year. He'd still be like the wide receiver 13. Yeah, he'd still he'd still be people would because because of the guys we're about I mean, to talk about. I don't think this offense guys. is as insulated as you guys do, is is my take. Like I don't I, I think two is fine. I, I don't think that he is in all like I think that Tua leading the most efficient offense in the NFL last year was an unlikely event. Uh I think Mike McDaniel's a genius. I think that we have seen throughout NFL history that when Coaches come in and they implement a scheme that is quite unique and quite progressive that with an off season to react to that scheme, defenses start to make it harder on them. Like, I, I, I don't know. I still get, I, I remember the first season of Chip Kelly with Nick Foles and it taking over the world. And I remember the first season of the Sean McVay Rams. And it was like, Oh my God, you just run 11 personnel all the time and nobody can stop it with Jared Goff. Like I, I foresee, I foresee choppy waters ahead if the goal is to just continue but to run that, this the exact that, way that it is. Like, I don't think that, that this that, is... These aren't Jalen Waddle problems, though. These are Tua problems, because I don't disagree necessarily, well, but these, these are, are Jalen Waddle problems in the and... sense that, like, Jalen Waddle's underlying usage does not support his price or his production. He was doing it off of extreme efficiency. If the offense is no longer allocating league-best efficiency to their weapons, then his usage needs to drastically change. I, yeah, but I think he's looking at some hopefully positive regression in terms of no Skylar Thompson. And then I yeah. think the point about the routes, I mean, there is there is a bit of a um, like there's more meat on the bone in terms of him just being out on the field. I mean, remember um, the the Eagles bullshit where they were where guys were playing 65 percent of the snaps because they had to rotate in, you know, all these dusty bums. This was like a this was like like two years ago. The, the remember Crane, this was like your big bugaboo. Was like uh, well, Eagles. you know, in retrospect, actually, I, I owe an apology too. I can't remember the name of the wide receivers coach there, but because you were you tilted. were uh, you were Jalen Rager, big play Jalen Rager, dude. What are you doing? Well, it turns out he knew exactly what he was doing. He's playing Quez <laughs> yeah. Watkins over him. That was a smart thing to do. I'm so sorry, Aaron. Something I believe. Uh, yeah, sometimes <laughs> okay. they, sometimes <laughs> these these next two guys, these next three guys are the most. In- well, do we we talked a lot about JSN in the last episode? I don't, do we need yeah. to? I don't think we need to go that much deeper into it. Uh, but these next three guys, I, I consider these three guys the most interesting players, uh, skill position players, really. I mean, maybe other than talking about McCaffrey in Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup, and Devontae Adams, they are first round redraft picks. 
uh, particularly in the case of Adams and Cup, they are like, you are just getting a stone amazing season from them. Diggs regressed a little bit last year, whatever. But Adams and Cup are like, they're the guys. I mean, they're they're favorites to finish top five in fantasy point scoring amongst wide receivers. But Cooper Cup injured last year. Adams, you know, might be catching passes from Brian Hoyer. We don't know. These are, I would say, these are the number two guys that if you're shipping out of 2024 first to try and win the championship this season, you'd be shipping it to them. And Adam Harstead makes this point all the time. And he made it the other day really eloquently by comparing Smith and Jigba's uh, uh, ADP in startups and his keep trade cut value in comparison to Cooper Cup. And then basically just, you know, posting all of his amazing charts and research that he's done over the years, showing that even if you're using this three-year window thing that that we like to do in dynasty cooper cup is actually more likely to be giving you points using historical uh better need falling data you better yeah. need them because you're not moving off them that's the issue no no the that's the thing every year every i mean at, at cooper cup could score 270 ppr points this year be really good not miss any time and his value is is decreasing it's every decreasing day. yeah yeah that that's the issue i don't i don't like the three-year window thing at all because if you're I mean, if you're look, if you're a contending team and you're going to use those points and you've accepted that this is a piece of my roster that I'm going to ride to zero because I'm I'm going to, you know, you're, you're still I, I with just Cooper traded Cup, like, I just traded for Cooper Cup in a league getting rid of Jamison Williams. I, I'm getting out of the Jamison Williams business. All, so much. Wait, possible. you only had to give up Jamison Williams and you got Cooper Cup. I gave I up you had to add something. I you did. I gave up Jamison Williams and Calvin Ridley to get Cooper Cup and Richie oh. James. Oh yeah, well, Richie James, I'm sure was was the major key to that. You're, it probably was a bit. It was you're, more you're of a key. You're joking. Yeah. You're joking. But I had to negotiate back and forth to get Richie. I got one involved. chief in every trade. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. One chief in every trade. You can't. You can't. You can't, you can't <laughs> so go to funny. war. You can't go to war without the Chiefs' wide receiver <laughs> six. You can't. You can't do it. But but honestly, these are the types of he trades. Like, I won't give you Justin Ross, but I'll pick up Richie James on waivers and send him. To Davis you. doesn't believe in Justin. I don't. Ross, I don't probably. believe in Just. I I'm not yeah. big 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 Justin Ross. Is big not Ross hasn't me. gotten you. Big um, the other thing that I think is important about Cup and Adams is that they are actually the type of players, unlike Tyreek Hill, who's ahead of them in our rankings, probably because, I mean, he's younger. I think if you tell me that Devontae Adams is 35 years old, reunited with Aaron Rodgers in, you know, wherever, and is still putting up 80 receptions, 1,000 yards, four touchdowns at, at 35, I'm like, yeah, that's probably, I don't know, pretty plausible. Yeah. Like, I, like, I feel like both of these guys have the ability to not cliff fall due to the way they play. I, I think we, Devontae we Adams is extraordinarily time, underrated, honestly. Like, I, I know that people think he's obviously really good, but it seems like the cool thing to do this year is to be like, ah, man, Devontae Adams is a fish pick at the one-two turn. Like, I Derek Carr was not very good last year, and Devontae Adams had 180 targets, 2,130 air yards, and a 33% target share. Like, I, I think that... It might not last for long, but at this exact moment in time, he is every bit as good of a wide receiver as any other wide receiver in the NFL. I, I do think that he has proven to this point to be more or less quarterback proof. Um, I don't, I'm not worried about Jimmy G. If you're worried about like, will Jimmy G play? Then I suppose that I, I understand like you don't want him with AOC, right? You don't want him playing with Aiden O'Connell, but 
No, I, just Tom Brady. Get Tom Brady in there. We're good. Sure. But if Jimmy Garoppolo Easy. plays, I have zero concerns about Devontae Adams' production this year unless he falls off the cliff, which can happen at any time. Like another, another he's 30. It's not, it's not that concerning to be 30 as a no. elite wide receiver. Um, it's it's great that Davis just brought up Adam Harstad. So I'm going to quote another Harstadism, but he has this article that's honestly I think the best dynasty article that I've ever read, which is we're probably thinking about aging wrong. Um, and it's it's basically the marble theory of aging, which is like if you look at a curve, the age curve in dynasty, um, it will look like a curve because some players they decline at 28, some decline at 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, et cetera. And if you average that all out over all of the players, it will look like it's a curve. But in reality, each individual player, at least the elite players, rarely decline in a curve-like fashion. Usually it's they stay more or less at the same level and then they fall off of a cliff. Dramatic. And it only looks like a curve when you average them all out because the cliffs yeah. are hitting at different no ages. Player the player. The no player curves. No player curves. No player curves. Exactly. And so the way he describes it is like, effectively, it's like you reach into a bag of marbles and once you hit the age apex, there starts being black marbles in the bag. And then each year after that, there's more and more black marbles and you just reach in. And if you don't draw a black marble, then you're basically who you've always been. And if you do draw a black marble, then you're done. And it's just each year, there's more and more marbles. Um, and I thought I've, that was I've got a really way good... of explaining it that I've ever seen. Yeah, go for it, Davis. Well, I've got a really good you know, if people are learning better by examples than Adam Hart said, black marble analogies. I've got a, I've got a guy that we trained. We would have said this, Oh, he's going to age great. He's going to be putting, he's going to be putting up 80 and a thousand until the end of time, Larry Fitzgerald, right? The most next to the line of scrimmage, just, you know, and you, you would have, you would have traded for him and felt great about it. 2016, 150 target or 20, 2017, 161 targets, 109 receptions, 1200 yards, six touchdowns. You, you're feeling, you're like, dude, I'm this guy's going to play till he's 45, like Jerry Rice. Next year, 112 targets, no injury, 69 receptions, 700 yards, and that's it. He's done. It. You're, you're, you're never starting him yeah. ever again. What his was, age, what? He was 34 at that point. He was, right? he was, he is, his, his 34 season was good. His 35 season, right. that was it. He was off the cliff. You got the black marble. Um, so, yeah, and you, you you do hear that that's when you get to the, like over i would say about 31 is when i'm like i don't really want to hear about how you know this guy's been so good he's going to age so well he's gonna be jerry rice like i generally hear that about like every single receiver so that's been elite at one but, point they're all going to age super well so it, if i can get them very cheap you know it's really no, no but there are there are guys there, like, there's differences I like i don't know like about that i never thought like i never looked at des bryant and i was like this guy's gonna age well or De- or demarius thomas but like he also same, started to decline thing. fairly early so it was sort of easy to, but, to, to but even like that way. i don't know like even when he was 24 like just i this is total vibes based but like i don't know even julio jones frankly like never struck me as a guy where like i don't know if i ever envisioned a 35 year old julio jones being great just because he was such like so much of sure. his game was predicated was on being force. like a physical freak. Yeah. Whereas Devontae Adams is so technically refined that like I don't know, like like he's he's sufficiently athletic, of course, but I don't think Devontae Adams' game is predicated off of being the best athlete on the field. So like I, I still have he's never been the he, he ran like a four or five at the combine. He's never right. been I, I've got athlete. I've got an even Davis, more. Davis, would you say that Devontae Adams' athleticism is cromulent? <laughs> no, I cromulent once, once per podcast. Once we can't, we can't overuse it. I've got, I've actually got, I've got the Cooper Cup one. 
Uh, this okay. is this will this will put people in the right mental headspace. Julian Edelman, 2019, New England Patriots, 153 targets, 100 receptions, 1,100 yards. Next season, complete. He's done. He's out of the NFL in 18 months. Next next season, he plays six games. He has 21 catches. He's completely. What he's year completely was that? Done. What age was that? That was age 34. That yeah. I I think 31 is when you price in the decline. Where you're like, I could be getting the yeah. black marble season now. Also, funnily enough, I just clicked on Cooper Cup's PFR page, and it's literally his 30th birthday today. Like today. we, like yeah, like, happy birthday, like the, happy birthday. the death, the death knell for you. Just for lost Cooper three Cup. spots in ADP. You, you just you just <laughs> went you just went from being the wide receiver 10 <laughs> to the wide receiver 19 in Dynasty today. Uh, okay. Also, it's Pete, Pete Overzet's birthday today. So have shout oh. out to Pete. Wow, Cooper Cup and Peter Overzet with the same On birthday. The same that's that's, that's cool. beautiful. Um, birthday, point being. Pete. I, I would actually be buying on Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams at this price point. And it sounds like, Jacob, you, you are less interested in that. No, I am buying on them. Um, but I think what's more, I, I buy a lot of the olds, but my like I struggle to rank these guys because I think it's hard to rank them in a vacuum. Like Pat said it yeah, great. We're, we're already like, to the point. Them. Yeah, we're yeah, already to the point and, and of like, rankings where it's, it's about your team. What I would say, and there's a, there was a, uh, patron in the bulletproof discord who like put this honestly way better than i put it in my article but if you want to read my thoughts on it i i um i wrote a lot about diminishing returns and my theory of diminishing returns in dynasty in an article don't let perfect be the enemy of the good which was on thinking about thinking and basically my point is on any of these veteran wide receivers it's like how you acquire them and on what teams to me is more important than if you acquire them um in the sense that you're, you're constantly trying to avoid diminishing returns in dynasty. If you have Cooper cup and Devonte Adams and Austin Eckler and Deandre Hopkins, like that's, that's too much. You're putting yourself at too much risk. And similarly, if you just it's have, not even like, risk at that point, like you will lose right. value. Your team will yeah. lose value this year. That is a fact that's going to happen. And, and similarly, like if, if you have like, if you're the person with like, I have eight 2023 firsts and six 2024 firsts, like you're just sacrificing points unnecessarily. Like the, the key point is you want to try and extend your expected value across your window. And if any point in time, your roster is constructed such that you have surplus value at some point in your window. And then, you know, by a factor of your roster allocation that you're not going to have enough value at other points in your window, you should be shifting that. Like, Devontae Adams' best use case to your team is either turning your fringe playoff team into a buy team or your, honestly, if you're, if you're just using him to get a six seed, you're probably using him wrong. Your best use case for Devontae Adams or Cooper Cup is like you would be the four or five seed-ish without him, and now you can contend for the two seed with him. If you're already the one seed, I would not be trading for Devontae Adams because his extra value to your team is just not going to add enough. Like the, the higher ranked seed in a playoff matchup in dynasty wins on average 56% of the time. So it's, it's a slightly weighted coin flip. You're, you're not adding that much by making the best team better. How do your, how do your thoughts change in best ball? A lot of, a lot of these leagues that I value value the vets a lot less in best ball because you're first of all, the replacement level is higher, right? Like the, the replacement level becomes a lot more insulated because you're not starting a guy whose floor is zero, right? Like one of the appeals of starting a Devonte Adams is that it's very rare that he's like, yeah, he's, he's getting like, eight like on his worst game, right? There's some level of 
reasonable expectation of a floor with a Devontae Adams that you don't get if you're starting, I don't know, uh, like Brandon Ayuk or whatever. Um, but yeah, in best ball, like you're just using less of the games, right? So it's like if he has, if, if we were to say he has like 30 games left of peak Devontae Adams, but you're actually only starting Devontae Adams in your lineup in like 21 of those, like he becomes a lot less valuable. And in the games that he is producing a lot of points, he's producing less points above replacement because replacement levels higher in, in best ball for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not targeting these veterans as much as I am in managed. Like if I'm the point being, if you're targeting any of these vets, you want to use them as much as humanly possible. So you want them in your lineup every single week and you want to make sure that it's materially changing your win expectancy in that year. Um, so yep. I do target a lot of the vets, but I, I'm also usually targeting teams that are like very pick heavy in the future and that have youth. So I'm, I'm building through the idea that I'm going to let value expire in my roster. I'm going to use those points to the max, and then I'm going to have to backfill it later with draft picks. I, I don't want to be overextended where I just have tons and tons of vets, and then I have to tank for two years. That's that's where you get into problems. Yeah. I, I think a couple other things with Adams that would make me more interested in him is, so I'm in a league where I have Adams, and it's uh, three wide receivers uh, and two flexes. It's not super flex. Um, so you can start up to five wide receivers, PPR, uh, ideally you are starting five wide receivers and there's also a three week sprint in the playoffs so that mm. there's no, um, individual matchups. The, the best team is more likely to win nice. the championship. So like in that situation, I don't know if I'll end up, I'm, I'm definitely going to chop him. I also have CMC on that team. So having both is an ideal, but, um, I, it's possible I go into the season again with him, but I really like that setup in best ball um in the same league where davis traded for cooper cup uh i was also in talks to trade for cooper cup and i ended up just deciding you know what i'm gonna try to win with depth at what at wide receiver and well and not you almost, lose that you value. almost pulled an absolute heist using sky moore as a piece that retains some right. value in that trade so i don't know i, I probably would have made that, that trade if i was you i'm kind of getting back in on sky more too but i yeah, I, 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 I do want to know before we before we go on a, a sky more tangent I I'm the highest on Cooper cup of all of us. I'm the highest on Devonte Adams of all of us. So I I'm in on these guys in the right situation, but I think just to underline the point you were making Jacob of like thinking through how you're adding these guys, I think is the whole game. Like you do not want to just be like, this guy's the highest in the ranks. I'm drafting him now. Like these are, these are specialty pieces. They do a thing. You need to add them to the right teams and you need to understand that, as soon as you put them on your roster, they've already lost trade value. In the startup, when you draft them, the moment you click that button, they lose value because now someone else has to go, am I going to really, they have to do the same thing that you had to do. Is this the right team to add a Cooper Cup? And several teams in the league will already feel like, no, this isn't the right home for a Cooper Cup. So I'm, I'm already not interested. I think you're that's that's a really great point is is when you're acquiring assets you can only trade to like four or five other teams that inherently right. limits like everyone would do a deal for aj brown at the right price but not every team will do a deal for Devonte adams right. at the right price absolutely um here's the other thing quick that i would i would add on some of these bets is i wouldn't necessarily like you can't plan on doing this because these bets could fall off a cliff at any time or they get injured at any time but I, I do think there's like a weird thing that happens in dynasty where a lot of teams, they get into arms races at the trade deadline, especially in super active leagues. What, what I would, what I'm more inclined to do is like, again, the number one thing you can do to improve your odds of winning a dynasty championship is to get a buy. 
Like once you get yeah. into the playoffs, you're you're almost never going to have a better than like a two thirds chance of winning league unless you're in the type of league that that uh, patches talk about. Normally you're in this series of weighted coin flips. So the number one thing you can do to improve your odds is to take away one of the weighted coin flips. And if you do have the Devonte Adams and the Cooper Cup, like I'm fine holding them now. And I would consider at the trade deadline, if you are the one seed and you look like you're going to clinch a buy, do the counterintuitive thing, make your team slightly worse. You've already mm-hmm. accomplished the number one thing that you can do in Dynasty to increase your odds, which is to secure the buy, trade some of that excess production once you've already gotten the number one thing you can get out of it at the trade deadline, and then just see where it goes. But then you've protected your, your downside moving forward and extended your contention window. Like I think this is a great time of year to increase your chance of winning this year. Once you've already accomplished that, your number one goal at that point, there's really not that much more you can do to improve your odds to win that year. Number one thing you can do, extend your contention window. I completely agree with that. If you can, I mean, that's the thing too. Like people don't ever want to do that. And that's why you kind of end up seeing teams that like go from like win now to, you know, oh God, what what do I do with this team? You know, this is how orphans are created essentially. Like, Right. You can you can trade away like one. It's not that you have to trade away Devontae Adams and Christian McCaffrey in my situation, but I would like to trade away one of those guys, get some pieces back. McCaffrey's probably the guy that I'll shop more because I think I'll probably be able to get more for him. And potentially mm-hmm. this is a league that values running backs a little bit. And I'll be able to hopefully piece together the running back production, maybe get a younger wide receiver piece or something or a pick and just kind of keep it, keep it going. You know, just like you never have to. If you can manage it, it's difficult, but there there are situations where you can just keep being in playoff contention every single year. And maybe not every one of those years you're going to be in the one seed situation, but you just you keep the perpetual I, what Sean Siegel calls it, I think uh, perpetual championship window or something. But but this is the idea. You you don't just go all in for any given year. Sure. All right, let's move on to the next range of guys. Uh, I think. Debo is pretty interesting because we have like both samples of him, of him being we, like, we the totally absolute... bypassed uh, my guy, Drake London. Hey, yeah, let's talk Drake London. I, I, I mean, think Drake, you're, you're just playing quarterback lottery. If he, if he ends up, if they end up with some serviceable quarterback, you have this huge win. If he remains on the treadmill of Arthur Smith, Desmond Ritter, Marcus Mariota, mediocrity, he'll never join that, that top 10 my... echelon. My my only thing that I'll say about Drake London, as I know we're going very long and we're already an hour 20 in, is that I don't think for the rest of the time that we play Dynasty, we will ever have another eighth overall pick who puts up a 29% target share as a 21-year-old rookie who is not valued as a top 12 wide receiver in Dynasty. Like I just think this is such an extraordinarily rare opportunity to buy what seems to be by all accounts a special player that people don't think is very special. Um I, I just don't think that a situation is going to be this bad forever. Like maybe it will be this year. This is the one player and I, where I'm very willing to take a short-term loss if that's what results, because sure. I, I just, I think that the long-term gain is going to be quite massive. Um, and I, and I don't think there's really any hole in the profile. Like I've seen some people be like, Oh, it all just came when Pitts was out or like maybe if they pass more his target share wouldn't be that high. Okay, sure. But there's just no piece of data on London that suggests that he isn't great. Like he was the eighth overall pick, had a great profile as a college prospect, 29% target share, had a higher PFF receiving grade than either Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. Like anywhere you look to grade out wide receivers qualitatively or quantitatively, 
He looks fantastic and he's 21 years old and he's quite gettable. And, and I just think that that makes him like a, a really, really massive buy um, where you're getting him, especially like in a startup early fourth round, you're, you're not paying as substantial of an opportunity cost in production to get him um, as, as you are for, for some of these other guys. He's my wide receiver 10. I, I'm, I'm bullish. I, I like him. Um, I just moved him up ahead of uh, Dak Prescott and, and, and Bryce Young. So uh, as you were talking, I was, I was getting even more bullish, but yeah, I think that eight. that wide receiver eight. Yeah. Nice. Um, I do have behind Dak, but that's because I, I love my quarterbacks. And Mike McCarthy is, is not going to uh, <laughs> do very well for you this year. Like, so like, you know, comparing him to T Higgins, who, um, we have just behind him now that I've bumped up Drake, Drake London a bit, but like to me, like I'd much rather have London because I'm going to get, I have this potential for him to emerge as a target dominant wide receiver one on his own team. And he did so last year in a, you can look good in what is probably like a worst case scenario quarterback room. And Marcus Mariota was so yeah. bad that they were refusing to pass the ball at all. And Desmond Ritter stinks. But the nice thing about Desmond Ritter stinking is that he's a third round pick who stinks. So they're right. going to have to move on from him if he doesn't get better this year. And Taylor Heineke is the backup. Like th this is not, a. Th it's sort of the reverse Amon Ross St. Brown thing where the status quo sucks, but at least the status quo is so fragile that they're going to have to move on from it uh, unless we get the unlikely outcome that Ritter blossoms. And okay, I'll stop. I'll stop uh, shitting on Ritter if if he blossoms. That's that's great. But I think it, Ritter has to show a lot, or they're gonna they're gonna do something else after the year. Uh, don't trade for Trey Lance. That would that would be pretty bad because then we're looking at low volume passing offense. Well, that would be really bad. But I I don't know. I don't think Trey Lance would be long for the world. Um, yeah. Here's the, you know what my best case for Drake London is. Do you know how many seasons of a twenty nine percent target share DJ Moore has? He has zero. Um, and DJ Moore, who's the perpetual uh, great player, bad situation guy, his current ADP is the 5.10 after five years in the NFL and still projecting to be in a low volume passing offense with a quarterback who has not proven that he is good. So Drake London could have four more years of this. Uh, and his closest analogy in terms of a player is currently less than a round and a half behind him in ADP. And that's if his worst case scenario continues to happen for four further seasons. Yeah. That's insulated value. We call that is, is yeah. I mean, DJ Moore has never had a good quarterback and probably just entered into like somehow like a better quarterback, but a worse target situation. And I mean, I don't know, you could probably still get a 2024 first for him. You hundred percent can hundred percent. You can. Yeah. Um, a guy I was surprised we were not, I, I mean, we were all kind of, Pat was obviously really bullish on Traylon Burks. Uh, yep. And then I was 10 spots lower and then you were 10 spots lower than me. Are you at oh, all, boy. are you swayed by the, the reports that he can breathe now that, that he can actually, that he can uh, properly oxidate his muscles playing football now? Um, I am going to get a, ton of Traylon Burks exposure in best ball and I just won't have that much in dynasty I I mean I think it's very possible that Traylon Burks is awesome and that my ranking of him looks really silly uh but I, I also don't think that we have reason to be super confident that he's even great like 
good prospect, had some flaws. I think that we basically saw all of those flaws in the first year, right? All the knocks on Burks coming in was he's not a real wide receiver. And then he didn't necessarily perform as though he was a real wide receiver. I, um, I, I would push back strongly on that. And you can check out Matt Harmon's reception perception. He talks about how they played him as a traditional X wide receiver. But he, but he didn't excel in that role. He didn't excel, but you know, I thought that the, this guy's a gadget player uh, knocks were like, were quite loud. I mean, he was basically being like, this is the next LaVisca type of thing. And right. he, that is not what happened at all. He, he was not relegated to a part-time gadget no. player role. And yes, he didn't excel, but I thought he was pretty good. It, I think the issue is like, how much more was he going to do had he not been concussed uh, on that touchdown catch that he had? Cause it looked like he was kind of ramping yeah. up. I mean, Fair he enough. was fine. Like his numbers in a vacuum are 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 totally fine. Like 0.208 targets per run, 1.7 yards per run. Like pretty good for a rookie. Uh, he was on like the worst wide receiver depth chart in the league as their first round pick. So, I, I, to me, like if I think that there was a much higher ceiling there, where if he was like a really high caliber player, like he could have consolidated a ton of targets there. But it's hard to say. Like I don't. I just don't really have an opinion on Traylon Burks, I guess, is, is my point. Like, he was he was playing, and then he would be not great, and then he would start to really get some positive momentum, and then he would get hurt. And then he would come back, and he'd start generating positive momentum, and he'd get hurt. Like, I, we just yeah. never saw enough of a sustained stretch for me to have, like, a confident take on who Traylon Burks is in either direction. So, I just knowing how wide receivers are, like, usually if you're really good, we find out in your two or your three. So, to me, like, getting that discount on Traylon Burks in – best ball is really appealing where we can draft him um quite affordably if he's awesome i think we're going to see it this year it's going to have a massive payoff it in dynasty it's just a little tougher because in best ball if he sucks and you burn your round six pick on Traylon burks like that's really not that harmful to your team um if you burn essentially first round rookie pick value on Traylon burks and dynasty and he's a dud like he just has not that much insulated value at this point so Hard for me to invest a lot in him in Dynasty, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's really good. I, I'm not, I don't have like a confident take that he's bad. I just don't have a confident take on him really whatsoever. So I'm more bullish on Burks and Dynasty, but I do just want to kind of highlight that I, I really like that approach in terms of Dynasty versus best ball because like I think people view Dynasty as more of an upside game than it is. To me, Dynasty is a downside game. It's about yeah, you don't want you don't want assets going to zero. It yeah, it's about managing your floor. Like it's the one like fantasy is all about upside, 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 but dynasty is not really about upside so much as it's about managing your floor. And the nice thing about the way fantasy, the way real life football works is that if you're managing your floor, you are building an upside because most of the time managing your floor means staying young, moving to assets that are like, it's not about like going from Burks to, you know, an aging vet. It's like using Burks to get to a, another young player who's maybe a little bit more insulated which still creates a high upside team but i like i like doing that um where you you take shots on a guy because best ball is like the upside game right so it's like if you're right. if you're overweight burks in best ball if he does i would say if he does in the sixth round that team is kind of dead but like your portfolio is not you know you're it's like you, you took a shot you I mean, capture the upside if he blows up um but you don't, don't necessarily have to be overweight dead like I've got, well, like, might not be I've, dead, I hit the yeah. final in a, in like I had, I had best ball mini final two years ago on a team with Calvin Ridley at like 2.1. Oh, 
Okay. Like I, I think you can, I think you can do it. It's, it you mean the rest of your team needs to be really good. I mean, Kareem, right. you didn't, you didn't use your second round picks point. I think I had Hunter Renfro in the sixth round last year. So actually that, uh, that under undermines my, yeah, there you go. my argument, but um, hurts your team. It hurts your team. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's, if you're playing a lot of different forms of fantasy and you think this guy is really truly boom bust in a way that's the market is going to feel that boom, but like Quentin Johnston's boom bust. Right. But like the market's probably not giving up on him after this season, but Burks is in a situation where the market could give up on him after this season. So um, if you, if you're a little bit shaky on the eval, I, I like, I like the way Jacob's playing. I mean, let's just right. You're two wide receivers. It's, People like to target the year two wide receivers for good reason. Like that is tends to be a lot of time the year they break out in, and in best ball, I a hundred percent agree. Cause you kind of want that high variance bet. Dynasty can go both ways. Like Elijah Moore post year two, Rashad Bateman post year two, but Chase Claypool post year two, LaVisca Chenault post year two. Like there is a significant graveyard of players that we had reason to like going into year two that the bottom really fell out and yeah. you know, maybe, maybe Bateman and Elijah more recover from that. Um, I'm somewhat bullish on both of them, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a scary proposition to have for sure. in in dynasty, I don't know. It's just it's tough sell for me for Burks. Like, and, and the one thing I would say too, is like your wide receiver in dynasty in particular, because the older wide receivers, like what do we talk about on all the in best ball constantly right now? It's like, you kind of can't get wide receivers you like after round seven. Um, that's just not the case in dynasty. It's not hard to get wide receivers that you like for this year because Tyler Lockett's going in like the 12th round. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to get functional flex wide receivers that you would expect to produce similarly to Traylon Burks. If wide receiver to me is just not the position where betting on a guy to provide that value of replacement for you himself is super likely so the most likely upside scenario for a lot of wide receivers is that they be is that they rise in value and then you can use them in trades for either super elite wide receivers, elite quarterbacks, elite tight ends, or elite running backs, instead of like this guy is now the wide receiver 15 himself. So to me, like I would just rather bet on guys that I am more confident that can either retain value that I can use in trade or or potentially rise in value. Like you mentioned Quentin Johnston. Like I, I would just rather go for Quentin Johnston. To me, that's a much safer bet with with fairly similar upside. Yeah, I, I have no issues with that. I have Johnson two spots behind Burks in my ranks. I think partly the reason that I'm higher on Burks than you guys is that I'm higher on the some of the wide receivers and lower on some of the the kind of the running backs who I view as kind of like one year bets. Like the market's going to decide on a lot of these running backs in the same range, the same way it'll decide on Burks. And I think yeah. my my long term payoff is much higher on a guy like Burks. So um, yeah, I, I don't really disagree. I mean, I do slightly disagree with the Johnson thing, but I think it's like kind of flipping a coin to some extent or, or a personal preference sort of thing. My I'll make the upside case on Burks a little bit. I mean, he was a first round pick. Right. He was a very, he was utterly dominant at Arkansas. Um, you do get the, yeah, but, but how did he do it? And I think some of the the you know how did you do it in a lot of ways was kind of gadgety stuff stuff that wasn't going to translate as much but one of the things that i wrote about when he was coming out is that like okay let's let let's subtract some of the screen stuff let's subtract some of the the gimme stuff how does he look now like well he's still hitting the the breakout thresholds we're looking for you know it's it, it was he good deep yes he was actually very efficient as a deep receiver it was on a smaller sample but 
He did flash that he can do that. I think it's very bullish that they used him as an X wide receiver, that he was playing, you know, the full time outside wide receiver role that, you know, they view him as that guy. I think that's really good. Um, unless they sign DeAndre Hopkins, he's now set up to be like a huge target earner if he's any good at all. He had 1.75 yards per outrun as a rookie, which is a good number. That's what Jalen Waddle yeah. had as a rookie. Um, so to me, like, it hasn't been perfect. It's been, you know, a little shaky. The market has lost confidence, which I do think we, you should factor in to some degree. But first round, first round pick who had an efficient rookie year and now steps into a, a situation where he can earn a bunch of targets as a second year. And I also am starting to become a little more confident that we are looking at Ryan Tannehill for a lot of this season, because why are you talking to DeAndre Hopkins if you're going to play Will Levis at any point early in the season? And if we get Ryan Tannehill for, you know, three-fourths of the year, like that would be huge for Traylon mm -hmm. Burks. I think Will Levis stinks. But, you know, there are downside scenarios that are really awful here. Tannehill gets benched early. Levis sucks. Burks has a bad year. You're eating it. So it's more, I think, if you buy that he was a, really good prospect who you know kind of flashed as a rookie or you think not such a great prospect don't love his rookie year if you're in that if you lean towards that i think uh you know maybe it's time to move well on. what's interesting is that a guy we all ranked lower jahan dotson had a better season but is not viewed in the same tier despite being a first round pick because he plays with well, terry mclaurin Right. I actually ranked Sean Dotson higher for the record. Oh, there we go. Well, consensus, he's lower. Yes, you did. Yes, he is lower. Um, this this gets back into the Waddle stuff again of like, how much do we care about a guy being the second guy on his team? But I also don't like, I, okay, so I have a tier from 61 to 71 in my overall ranks. I have exclusively wide receivers, 11 of them in a row. And you could frankly like spin a wheel in terms of the order. And I'm pretty content with however you do it. Like I don't have a overly strong take on like Dawson versus Burks. I, I mean, I think that's an interesting one where like Burks, I think has the higher upside. If one of these wide receivers is a top 12 wide receiver this year, it's almost certainly trailing Burks. Yeah. I'm not even sure that I would say that Jahan Dotson had a better rookie year than Burks. Like Burks, his targets per run was higher. His yards per run was higher. Significantly higher. Dotson was like, actually slightly concerning in yards per run. So like, I don't even know that I would say Dotson was better than Burks the rookie, but I would say that he... He provided a rookie season that is more that provides me with more confidence that he's at least an NFL wide receiver. And I guess like hmm. at wide receiver, I am very floor focused in the sense that I want to have enough wide receivers that are good enough that I can use them as trade chips, that I can stick them in my flex with confidence, etc. I also think Dotson. I put out a Twitter thread on him um, a while ago. I, I think that. You know, we mentioned Burks with having some viable injury excuses. I think Dotson does too. His it was really a tale of three seasons with him. He started his season totally lockboxing. Like he was running all the routes. He was earning none of the targets and he kept ending up in the end zone. Uh, and then he hurt his hamstring. He came back and he sucked for a couple of weeks, like really sucked after the hamstring. And then he turned it on down the stretch. And I do wonder sometimes, like most of the time with rookies, we see them get better over the course of the season. And a big reason for that is oftentimes that they're earning more routes. And a lot of times the coaches are doing that logically. It's like, this guy isn't ready to be good enough to run hundred percent of the routes from week one. And so then less of their sample, when we look back at their rookie year is with them running all of the routes. And so usually the time that they're running all the routes is when they're progressing a little bit more as a player, 
maybe this is too fan fiction, but to me, like, I don't really want to punish Jahan Dotson when we look back on this rookie season for the fact that the commanders made him run 100% of the routes almost, basically from week one, when he clearly wasn't fully ready for it. Like, yeah, his he just right. has, and they were passing so much early season. Like, those first few weeks with Carson Wentz, they were, like, he was running, like, 50 routes in some of those games. And, you know, Burks' stats, in a sense, are being sheltered by the fact that he was not a full-time player from absolute jump. He eased into that over time. A lot of rookies do. And late in the season when DeHotson was a full-time player, he was putting up around 0.2 targets per run. He was a lot more in the realm of what we want to see out of really strong rookie profiles. It's just his sample is really lagged by a lot of those massive volume route games and then kind of get stunted by a hamstring injury. So I'm, I don't know. I, I think that Oftentimes we'll see in dynasty where we try to focus on per route stats and then sometimes we miss and we wonder why. And I could see this Dotson versus Burke situation is one where we do miss where Dotson's raw numbers are better. Burke's per route numbers are better. And it wouldn't surprise me if Dotson is the better player. And we look back and we kind of can backfill some of these reasons as to why that ended up being the case. It wouldn't surprise me if Dotson was the better player, but it would surprise me if Dotson was the better player and Traylon Burks is good is really what it comes down to for me. I think, I think Dotson's rookie season was pretty, it was whatever, like it wasn't terrible, but you know, he did not rate particularly well in open score. He had a 46 uh, rating there. Um, Burks was, was Matt Harmon stuff for the record. what did you say? I just said, however, like, I, Matt mean, Harmon I, likes I don't know, him, yeah. I don't know which one is better. Like in terms of like looking at, I kind of view them in the same general like archetype of qualitative data. Um, like Harmon really liked Dotson. PFF graded Dotson higher, I believe. Maybe that's wrong. Um, I don't have that sure. right now. I know Harmon really liked Dotson. You mentioned Burks with higher and open. Harmon score. liked Dotson, but he he actually didn't have the best success rate versus man. He was fine. Okay. Um, in dot in Harmon's data, he was solid there, but he yeah. wasn't particularly strong. Um, he was he ranked lower than uh, Burks in in open score. Um, Burks was good in, in open score, not like amazing, but I think pretty good for a rookie, especially given that we're like his ability to win was sort of the, the question, especially from, uh, the outside. And he was running per Harmon's data. He had 75% of his routes were on the line of scrimmage, which is again, going to the thing of this guy was playing traditional receiver. George Pickens had 70, 70%. Uh, Devontae Smith was at 70% as well. So like Burks was playing traditional wide receiver. I think you're right in terms of them easing him in in terms of the number of routes that he was running over the course of the year. But the Titans, I would say in no real way eased him in, in terms of like, Hey, here's your transition into this kind of classic outside NFL wide receiver role. You didn't really do so much of that in college. Let's, let's get you comfortable with stuff. They didn't do that. They said, you are our X play X. And in that role, he delivered 1.75 yards per out run. To me, to me, it's a bullish situation, but I understand why I, people are, are a little bit more sketched out. I will say in Dots' defense, so I have Harmon stuff pulled up here too. Um, 69.9% snaps outside on the line for 66%. So he was also playing a lot of very yep. real wide receiver. His percentiles, yep. 60th percentile versus man, 64th zone, 87th press. Burks was 23rd, 24th, 24th. Yep. 
All right, and I don't so, think that's the end all be all. Like, I don't think that that's the only thing we should look at, but I, I it is something that, that it is helpful that the player tracking data, you know, goes with Burks. I do like that the, yeah, that the, the, we have mixed signals on that at least. Yeah. All right. We got like 20 minutes left after 20 minutes on Traylon Burks and Jahan Dotson. Let's, uh, let's do this. What? Let's each pick one guy outside, you know, this premium tier that we think is like an extremely good buy right now in terms you know, we just talked about it being a downside game, but you do need to harness upside to some degree, like buying a wide receiver who goes from wide receiver 33 to wide receiver 17 and off. I mean, you could buy yourself a first round pick for that. Oh yeah. Um, I, I definitely have a guy in mind. I think it's, I think it's incredibly obvious and I actually cannot believe that this is, Chris Godwin's price. I cannot believe that Chris Godwin is the wide receiver 28 and that we all had him in the sixties, not saying it doesn't make sense, but I'm saying if this is how the market is viewing him when Mike Evans is still his teammate and some combination of Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask is going to be his quarterback. And he's still, it's not like this is a guy who is reaching his age cliff season. I mean, Chris Godwin is still, uh, he's 27 years old, you know, like he's got, He's got two years before the age clip stuff even starts to filter in to our thoughts. And I think there are a number of ways he can go up. I mean, one, he can go up in sort of the shitty situation. The quarterback just needs to, I've actually compared it to how Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham were being used in Cleveland before Odell got cut where Landry was actually mostly fine with Baker, despite Baker getting worse every single year. I mean, uh, 2019, for example, 83 receptions, 1,200 yards, six touchdowns in the year. Like, just everything was going bad for them. But Odell couldn't get open. Odell could not get fed because Baker couldn't push those throws, which is sort of common with mediocre quarterbacks. They can get it. They can complete six-yard slants. They can't complete 18-yard posts, right? Right. But But he's got way more outs than that. He's got trading outs. He's got... The Buccaneers decide they don't want to do the rebuild and and do you know the they give Kirk they're they're the team that gives Kirk Cousins the big guaranteed contract in the offseason outs there there's just a lot of different outs and one I feel extremely confident that Chris Godwin is good I mean that's that's the biggest prior here I just I just think he's very good at football and I also anticipate the market responding positively to Mike Evans falling off a cliff with Godwin, which is, is feels like it's been coming for a long time. I would be surprised if, if Evans is even good this season. Like I don't take Mike Evans in best ball much, but I do take Godwin and Godwin is just one of these guys that people like too. like, go, go look at his DFS, go look at his DFS ownership percentage. Any week he's been in a good spot. Any week, Mike Evans has been bagged up and people just like Chris Godwin. Um, I just think I think he's an awesome buy right now because I don't I don't think he'll be horrible for fantasy this year even if the Buccaneers kind of like what we've talked about with Rashad White brain you and I where it's like the offense can be terrible but just by value of being out there and getting the work you're gonna sustain some value but I I would actually think whatever the worst case thought you had for Godwin it's existing right now you know he went from Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield like we're living we're living the nightmare. Yeah, we are we are living the nightmare for Chris Godwin right now, and it's not even really all that bad. So I, I've been, and, and I don't like this one. There's some there's some places that I'm kind of like uh, 
on an island with uh you know a lot of our crew on various players and i'm like comfortable being on that island i don't like that i'm on the not as bullish about chris godwin island but um because i do i do think godwin's good as well but it has and i'm i'm quite above uh consensus or, or the adp or whatever on chris godwin as well so i don't i don't mind the call but it does i do feel like people are a little bit overconfident about this situation the one thing we do know is that this is going to be a very bad team with bad quarterback play that's what we should be confident about what happens after that we shouldn't be particularly confident in because it's not a good situation <laughs> like there's going to be um some frustrating games here the way you laid it out that evans is hurt more than godwin makes logical sense to me however i do think we should at least note that mike evans was still good last year yeah. uh in matt Harmon's write-up he was saying he's probably not like at his peak but he's still looking pretty solid he finished pretty well in open score as well and then you have to look at chris godwin yeah he's coming back off an acl tear so that that matters and hopefully the second year back he'll he'll improve you know we saw cooper cup his blow up season was his second year off the acl tear the acl tear probably hid just how good he was the year before um but he was quite poor in open score he finished um below dj moore who we've talked is you know gets mentioned that he kind of had a down year last year uh finished below noah brown um just ahead of dj chark it's not uh particularly auspicious season to be coming off so you really do have to buy that he's going to improve two years removed from the ACL tear, which is a, which is a fair enough assumption. But there are like a few things that you get into with Godwin where you're like, you know, the situation sucks, but Evans is going to fall off and Evans is the worst fit for Baker and he's going to improve from the ACL tear. Like there's some serious red flags here with Godwin. I, I'd, forgot, I'd forgotten that, I, that Godwin came back too fast from the ACL hurt his hamstring and then came back and was still pretty good. I, okay. I, I want to give you a player a versus player B. That's. Oh no. These are, these, this, it's always a, a, a bad faith player, a a player B. Is these are, this is the most bad, bad faith. faith. I want to give you a bad faith player, a player B we're an, we're an hour, 50 minutes in. So you're getting a bad, by the way, I'm the highest on B. Godwin of all of us. So this might, yeah. this might be more of a redraft take for me, but. um, but. Okay. Player a. Last three seasons with at least eight games played. Target share 21.8%. Air yards share 16.8. Next season, 21.3%. Wait, say that again. Target share what? Target share. Okay. I'll give target share and air yards share for the last three seasons with at least eight games played. Okay. Okay. So 21.8 and 16.8, 21.3 and 19.4, 18.9 and 20.6. Okay. Next player. 17.4 and 16.9, 19.6 and 15.4, 18.3 and 23.2. Who do, who do we think player A and player B are here? Pretty pretty similar zones in the in the good vision camp of the 2020 target share, air yard share. Well, one of them is Chris Godwin. One of them is Godwin. And then one of them is some bum like Juju or something. That's exactly who it is. Yeah, it was yeah. Chris Godwin uh, and Juju uh, Smith-Schuster. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly who it is. Um, Chris, the last time that's, Chris Godwin that's, had I mean, an one... impressive peripheral season was 2019. Um, I yeah. think that he is yeah, one of the most overrated real-life players 
in the NFL. I think the most overrated real life wide receiver. I, I mean, NFL. I agree that his skill Thank set you, is Thank you, Jacob. Over- no one smart agrees with me except you. Thank you. I, I agree. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think Chris Godwin, like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I, I will admit that if you look at the data that, that share of team targets and air yards versus pass attempts, when the raw pass volume goes up, the average share does go down. So I, I do think that the shares are going to come up a little bit for Godwin and Evans as well, the pass better. volume goes down. But like they, the last time that Tampa was outside the top three in raw pass volume was like 2018, I think. Like Chris Godwin has been in an absolute ideal situation for his entire fantasy career. It's not like this is a guy who is producing in an okay situation and is now going to a bad situation. He was producing in an unreal situation. And in many ways, I think his production was buoyed by that situation. He was now going to a potentially terrible situation. Um, I've also seen the... Potentially is nice. That's a nice way to describe the situation. It, right. it is a terrible situation. And and I've also seen people say like, and I mean, these are two of the people that I have the most respect for in the entire industry. So I'm not using this to denigrate them. But like I listened to Ben and Sean's pod recently and they were talking about like Tampa's like... They were like, there's some players that are hurt by both efficiency and volume. Tampa wide receivers are going to get hurt by efficiency, but probably not by volume. I don't know why that's fully expected to be true. Like, I, I get that they were a very high volume team last year on overall pass attempts. They, that wasn't their intention. Like, they weren't actually throwing on early downs at a particularly high rate. Like no, they were they were, were, they were they, awful. It's just they were, like they, they were running the ball a lot. They were running the ball on early downs, and then they got behind, and then, like, Tom Brady just runs – so effectively when he's in the two minute situation that they could just pile on pass plays in a very, very quick order. He also never runs. He doesn't really take sacks. So when they do drop back to throw, he's converting those into targeted throws at a really, really high rate. Um, All of this is untrue of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield frequently will have games where 30% of his dropbacks don't result in the target because he's either throwing it into his lineman's face or he's getting sacked or he's scrambling and I don't think that they had the intention to pass as much as they did last year. So I think that's going to balance out a large degree. Like it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of the 10 least efficient passing attacks and the 10 least voluminous pass attacks in the NFL this year. I, and I, I just think, I think Chris Godwin's a good NFL wide receiver. Like to be clear, I said it was a bad faith comparison. I think he's a much better wide receiver than Juju Smith-Schuster, but I don't view him like, I'm not even sure. That we kept he's faith like alive on Juju and DJ more good. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. I, we it. kept That's faith alive on Juju for a long time as a redraft and dynasty community, you know. So I think in some he's ways... The it's wi- a- he's the wide receiver 50 in Best Ball Mania 4 today, right now. Yeah. yeah. Like, which is... In a which much is, better offensive environment than Chris Godwin. Which is... <laughs> I don't have you, look, you're not That's wrong. That's true. This is, this is my... This is my <laughs> That was my point, though, is that I think I think Godwin. I, I mean, I actually agree with the point that he's maybe a little bit of an overrated um, NFL player, but I think the skill set that he provides in fantasy football is really valuable. Which is like kind of what we just talked about with a bunch of these other slot guys. Like he just gets open really quick. That's his deal. He gets yeah. he gets he gets a lot of these layup throws, and the layup throws are going to be pretty important if Carson Wentz is quarterbacking the Tampa Buccaneers in. Week one of the 2020 NFL season. Carson Wentz has never thrown an accurate pass less than 10 yards downfield in his entire life. The only thing Carson Wentz can do is throw deep balls. Like if you ask him to hit a slant, it's and he sucks at it. He sucks at deep balls, and it's by far the best thing he does. Yeah, (laughs) he sucks at everything. 
Yeah, he's brutal. <laughs> the the, the uh, year right, that got... Carson Wentz was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts cost me ten years off my life expectancy. All right, we got we got six minutes. I got a hard out. You guys got to oh, you you guys can speed run your guy. I'll go really really go. fast. Um, okay, the further you get down the board, the less I'm looking at reasons why this profile might not be as good as it looks, and the more I'm just clinging to any possible indicators of a yeah. ceiling, and especially when you compare that with a young player with a high pedigree, sample size be damned. So last year, first round pick, stud production profile throughout college, posts a 23% targets per out run and a 2.38 yards per out run. And he's currently draftable as the wide receiver 42 in the 10th round. And there is no clearly obvious good wide receiver on this team. There is a new pass-friendly offensive coordinator coming into town and potential for this offense to be much more conducive to fantasy success. I I think that Rashad Bateman is the only young wide receiver that I have legitimate confidence is a good NFL player with, I think, legitimate potential to be a great NFL player who you are not really paying a ceiling case for whatsoever. Um, You can certainly say that the list Frank is a concern. You can say that he only ran 120 routes last year. That's obviously a massive concern Um, that there is some level of target competition, but I think that the target competition only hurts. I think this applies to both flowers and debatement, which is that I think they only hurt each other if they aren't actually that good. But if one of them is really, really good, the others shouldn't be that concerned. And I think it's pretty unlikely that both are elite, right? Like I think if Bateman just comes out and he's awesome, he can alpha flowers and vice versa. You're paying a lot less for Bateman. Um, that's a guy that I would really love to target. I think him and more uh, are kind of the only two guys that I have. Like, I think it's over 50% chance. They're good NFL players that are young and that have legitimate upside that you're not really paying for. I like that one a lot uh, to the point that now I'm not sure if I have one. Uh, can I do Marvin Mims? Is that is that an yeah, acceptable thing and not not the rookie show? Um, yeah, I'm... I mean, it, look if you want if you want to if if you want to Josh uh, KJ Hamler 2.0 to the people. I do. I want to Josh him to the people. Um, you know, Rashad Bateman. By the way, I am the highest on in our rank. So uh, the real the real <laughs> Rashad Bateman bull never got to got to say his piece. Um, yeah, I'm like nine spots higher than you in our ranks. Oh, uh, I'm like 26. percent I'm like 26 spots higher than ADP. So you must be really higher. <laughs> well, oh, this, is, this is true with all these wide receivers. I, I noticed as we went through, I mean, because like some guys, like we, like we're like not ranking guys that are going at like pick 111 in startups. Like we, like some of these yeah, running yeah, backs, yeah. we just are no interest. I'm going to Rashad Bateman up. Oh yeah. Like I, I do love that. I mean, to me, this is like why we're doing this is to dial in these ranks. So move them up. I'm going to move, uh, I'm going to move my head up Kenny Pickett. I'm going to live a little. Do it. Uh, So one reason I like Marvin Mims, right? The one thing that we know about the Broncos situation is that Sean Payton is going to be their coach next year. That's definitely what we know. You don't know who the quarterback is, but in some ways that's a good thing because if Russ sucks, we're not stuck with Russ. We also have uh, the certainty, I think, that some of these wide receivers who are here now will not be here entering 2024. Tim Patrick would probably be the highest on that list. They cannot move on from him this year. His $10 million in dead cap, $11 million cap hit. They're not going to cut him for you know less than a million dollars in savings. Uh, but next year, they can save $11 million by moving on from Tim Patrick. They will do that. That will help. We also know that they're quite willing to move on from Jerry Judy, from Cortland Sutton. 
I think we could see a big shuffling of this wide receiver room and one that could lead to quite a bit of more projected opportunity for Marvin Mims entering his second season. This is a guy who looks like he could flash in limited routes as a rookie. He's a deep threat. He's got, he's got the speed for it. He's a little undersized at 183, but he's got legit speed. He gets open. That was a big point of emphasis for Peyton after he drafted him about his separation ability. Uh, so I don't know how well we can, you know, how, how much production you could really count on for Mims, essentially sort of a red shirt type of player. I, I throw him into best ball rosters because, you know, maybe he gets there a couple couple of the right weeks for you. Should be coming on down the stretch a bit, which is helpful for best ball. But in Dynasty, this is a depth pick. But it's sort of like you're banking. You're ban- it's like one of these picks. Sometimes I learned this from Sean Siegel. You can trade away your future picks and get into young players. And then you can get production. You essentially are getting production out of your picks for not all mm-hmm. that much more risk. And Marvin Mims would be a nice example of this where – his situation is really set up for his value to increase after his rookie season. And if you get the unlikely but plausible scenario where he is productive this year, that is a grand slam. And if you get the, he just flashes, but things shuffle predictably given these contracts, then you also win. If he stinks, then you're, then you're in trouble, but you still get, Hey, he's a second year player with Sean Payton. Maybe you can get out, you know, at a, at a loss for sure, but not a catastrophic loss. So, I just think he's sort of a classic. Everything's tilted to the upside with this bet. There Love that. I mean, Corbin right. Sutton is just DJ Chark, but one year behind every step of the way, right? Like, I don't yeah. think he's as much yeah. of an obstacle as. He was He was good once. He was good that one. That, that was DJ season. Chark. Yeah, yeah, fair the, enough. The year before he tore his ACL, he was, he was really DJ good. DJ Chark, Michael Gallup, and Cortland Sutton have had like the exact same career arc. Like they were, they were like, I still, I'm still, bagged, rookie, I'm still bagged. Really great Michael second Gallup. year, major injury, bad. <laughs> I still, I still believed. Uh, all right, Jacob, chill the people, tell them where to go. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, all my written work on thinking about thinking jacobsanderson.substack.com. It's been a uh, busy two year or busy two weeks of uh, bar exam prep. So I've only had one article up there recently, but I'm going to get some more up there this weekend um got gonna have my players in the top 180p uh in best ball to build championships around and i'm also doing a uh, more real life focus with some fantasy application um ranking of nfl backfields as well that i'm gonna run through soon in the next week or two yeah uh Corrine, legendary upside what are the legendary upside.com slash early you can get 30 dollars off still uh for about another month i'm running that deal uh 30 off your first year takes the price down to $69. Uh, I do still have like a few underdog credits left. If you're playing on underdog and get a $50 underdog credit, if you sign up, you got to fill out a form, uh, which will be in the show notes uh, of the podcast on my feed. And then, um, yeah, you can get dynasty rankings. Uh, obviously we, we got these collaborative dynasty rankings, but you can also get best ball rankings for underdog DraftKings, and had a couple strategy pieces out last week, working on a couple more right now. There we go. All right, everyone, make sure you're subscribed to all of these podcast feeds and we'll be back with part three soon.